you, Helen, and just bear with me while I sort myself out. Step one, step two, step three. Okay, hello. Um, it's great to be with you this morning. My name's Becky. If we haven't met before, I'm married to um, Paul, who's the vicar here, and he is at St. Sed's this morning, one of our minster churches, so he's down um, leading there. And, um, but you've got David and, I, David and I here this morning, so it's great to be with you. And we are carrying on in our sermon series um, in the book of Philippians. And this morning we come to um, chapter 2, verses 12 to 30. Now in this, I'll, get to, I'll read that in a moment, but if you were here, I wasn't here last week, I was in Germany last week, but um, I'm sure that you heard a great talk on the verses beforehand. Um, and in those verses, we have a great description of Jesus' attitude. And for the original readers of Paul's letter, when they received this letter, they would have read on to the verses we're looking at today you know, straight after, not with a week between. Um, So I just want to refresh ourselves that those verses that came before what we're going to read today, they detail for us how Jesus left heaven, how he came to um, live on earth, and not only that, but also he was humble enough to die a death for us, to be crucified. But because he did it in submission and obedience to God's will and plan, Jesus was exalted back to the highest place with an even greater authority because he had defeated sin and death. So those were the verses before. Now we're going to look at, um, together, Philippians 2, verses 12 to 30, and that is on page 1,179. So you can get that um, in the Bible that's in front of you there. So it's Philippians 2, verses 12 to 30. And it carries on from the verse before, and it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. 
So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So, we have this little snapshot of um, this letter that Paul wrote, carrying on from what came before and it carries on after. But in these verses today, we're going to look at what we have is a bit of teaching from Paul, some quite challenging teaching, I think, and then we have a few personal updates that he gives. So beginning in verse 12, Paul starts off by saying, therefore, which means we look to what came before. Therefore, because of Jesus' example, which he just finished talking about, he wants the Philippians to carry on with the good start that they made when he was living among them. He tells them to continue to work out their, their salvation with fear and trembling. And that's not because it's something they should be afraid of. It's not something to be scared of, their salvation. But it's because it's a holy and it's an awesome thing to have God's spirit live in you. It's really wrong to take the Holy Holy Spirit's presence and power um, at work in your life for granted, to treat it as if it's a cheap thing. It's actually precious, and it's a priceless gift of God's grace, and we should honor and we should submit to it, because, as Paul says, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And here he's carrying on the thought that he had in chapter 1, where he said, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. So what we have here that Paul's talking about is the idea of working out our salvation while at the same time letting our salvation work in us. That's because it's a partnership. It's a partnership between us and God. Now, salvation and the Holy Spirit's presence in our life is a free gift. It's, it's free for us. But it was a very costly thing for Jesus. He bought it for us with his surrender and his submission. All we have to do is say yes to what he did, and then we receive that gift for ourselves. So salvation is a free gift, but after that, it is a continuing process of our surrender and of our submission, and that allows us to be shaped and transformed to become more like Jesus in character, our will, and in our actions. Now, God does not force this on us. We can and we often do fight and resist the work of our salvation in us. And I really like this quote from Charles Spurgeon. Uh, He was a great teacher, preacher. He just says things in a really beautiful way, I think. And he said, If he, that is God, if God were a tyrant, it might be courageous to resist. But since he's a father, it's ungrateful to rebel. But rebel, we do. Because even though this shaping and transforming, it sounds great, but the fact is at times it's just really hard. Um, It's really hard because it can make us unpopular. Those around us might not like it if we begin to be changed. It's costly, as it will almost certainly require us to lay down our plans and our rights and to put others first. And it can be painful. It will be painful because we have to die to parts of ourselves, the parts that are selfish and the parts that are broken. But by cooperating, by submitting, it is definitely in the long run also the greatest way to peace to freedom, and ultimately to life 
in all its fullness. And Paul tells us that one of the signs that we're allowing ourselves to be shaped and transformed is when we, as Jesus did, we get on with what we're meant to do without grumbling or arguing. He tells us that in verse, verse, verse 14. And that's why I say this is a hard, challenging message because I know I'm not the only one who might find that a bit difficult. Um, so he says to do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, let me first of all say, and please hear me say, this, this does not mean we don't speak up when it's necessary to challenge someone over something. There are times when challenging is necessary on a personal or on a corporate level, but the Bible lays out appropriate ways for us to do that. One example being Jesus in Matthew 18. He teaches us the right way to go about confronting something, and it's not by getting out our phone and immediately going onto social media. There is a process of how we do it. Now, challenging or confronting well is definitely something lots of us need to improve on for all sorts of reasons. And it's not what this is about today, so I don't have time for all of it, but the important thing to say about it this morning is that when we aren't able to do that in a healthy way, to challenge or confront, in a healthy or an appropriate way, well, our dissatisfaction or our unhappiness with a situation or relationship, it will leak out. And in some cases, it will pour out. <laughs> and that's why Jesus laid out appropriate steps for challenging and confronting what we're not to do, and this is what Paul's talking about, what we're not to do is start mumbling and grumbling in order to build a case for ourselves with any, anyone we think will listen and then take our side. But I know it's so tempting to do that. It also means we don't spend time and energy arguing over who's right and who's wrong about things that don't have lasting significance. Again, some things are worth standing up for. But you know, many things really aren't. And that's the sort of thing Paul's getting at here. And it's in regard to those sorts of things that when we grumble or we argue about them, it's often because of areas of our will. That is our inner life and our attitudes. And those things need some transforming work done on them. That work Paul's talking about here, about God, um, that God's doing us to will and to act according to his good purposes. Now, a few examples of this to make it more concrete, is we can and we often do grumble or argue because of just simple self-centeredness. Secondly, we can and we often do grumble or argue because of our desire for comfort. And I like to think the flip side of the comfort coin is um, laziness. Um, and number three, it could be we grumble or argue due to our need to be seen, our need to not feel taken for granted. Now, these are all aspects, there's just three reasons, there are many others, but these, are three, these three are aspects of human nature that we have in common. I have complained, I have grumbled, I have argued for all three of those reasons, and I still do. But because I'm trying my best to let my salvation work in me and to work with it, I like to think that I'm doing it a bit less than I used to. I like to think I'm getting better at catching myself when I'm about to. Um, having progressed from regretting after the fact of grumbling, I've had a full-form thought and I've just said it and complained, um, to knowing I shouldn't say something, but saying it anyway, which then involves more regret because, you know, you have that thought and you think, I really shouldn't say this, I shouldn't, 
but then you say it anyway because you just can't keep it in. And then you think, oh, I shouldn't have said it. Um, and then to having the fully formed thought, but actually managing to stop the words coming out. To think it, but actually knowing that's not going to help anyone or anything. I'm not going to say it. Two, actually, as soon as the thought begins to come over the horizon, thinking, nope, I'm not going there. I'm not going to think or entertain that, that grumbling or that arguing um, about this situation. It's not worth it. Um, now, I'm not as successful as that as I'd like to be, but I am a work in progress, and you are too. So I'm in a safe place, right? I can admit that I'm not perfect and I get these things wrong too. Um, and some days, I'm better at it than others. But it's important to understand that when we have our buttons pushed, we don't have to automatically react the way we always have. We can, with God's help, train ourselves to respond differently without grumbling or arguing because that's what Jesus did. It always comes back to him. Now, <clears throat> to give you a fuller idea of what I'm talking about with those three areas, here are some examples of how those thoughts leading to words could start. So in the case of self-centeredness, there are some people who would be say, thinking and saying, but do you know who I am? Now, actually, I think most of us don't go that way. What we actually think and then say is, but what about me? What about what I want? What about what works best for me? That's where the self-centeredness can come in. In our desire for comfort or laziness, it can sound like, well, why do I have to? Or it's not fair, I have to. Or the flip side of that, why aren't they doing something? In our need for attention, we might be thinking, and this is often unconsciously, but we might be thinking, if I don't grumble, I'll be taken for granted, or even worse, no one's even going to know I'm here. So we end up say, thinking and saying things like, no one cares how hard I work, or I'm the only one who was here doing, or I was here, I've been here since, or I was here until, or I've done this, I've done that. But, you know, those things are normal for us, and we will react that way. But over time, God will confront each of those areas in us. I know he has in me. And he will ask us to trust him in them. Now, this requires time and perseverance on our part, because it can be very hard to experience the discomfort involved in trusting to God's timing and to living by faith trusting God's going to sort it rather than trying to fix it myself or to have it my way. And it will almost certainly require some healing of our damaged and our broken places, those places we've learned to hide and to self-protect. Often we've hidden them from ourselves as well. We need to let the, uh, bring those things up so the Lord can touch them and heal him, letting our salvation work in us. Now again, this can be uncomfortable I know, I speak from experience, but it is a necessary part of working at our salvation and letting our salvation work in us. The good news is, as we do it, we become more and more blameless and pure, as Paul says, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Now, where the, he doesn't mean that it's like, you, you don't, just because you do this, no mumbling and grumbling, you're without fault, but it's like it's a sign that you have mastered yourself. 
Um, and remembering that if in our self-centeredness we're able to humble ourselves and we can let go of our rights as we see them, remembering from those verses before our reading, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. If we can remember that and we can submit, God will lift us up. If we exert ourselves beyond our comfort zone, remembering how Jesus took the very nature of a servant, we can grow and reach our potential and we can know with confidence that God sees everything we do. Even if others don't, he sees it and he knows why we do it, our motivations. And if we really believe he sees us, remembering how Jesus became obedient even to death on a cross for us, we won't worry about being taken for granted or needing others' attention and approval because we know he sees it's his approval that is our rock and our security. If we can be shaped and transformed in these areas of our will, our actions will then be affected and we will be different from the world around us, those who don't have God working in this way, meeting their needs. You know, just this morning, I would preach this at the 9.30 and since then I've talked to two different people, both of whom I thought... I was expecting a bit of complaint or a bit of mumbling, but both of them were really positive about what they were talking about. And I thought, it really does. It's so much more joyful to be around people who don't grumble and complain and argue. Um, it's like, oh, it's, I want to talk to you. This is really life-giving. But anyway, so that's why it's like that. So Paul describes it as shining like stars. Now, we all live on the edge of London, probably, if you're here this morning some closer to in, some further out. But the fact is, we live in a city with lots and lots of light pollution. And, you know, I'm very grateful for lights at night. They're secure. They do lots of good things for us. But um, a bad thing they do is that they hide the multitude of stars from us. Even on the clearest night here, we can only see a very small number of stars when we go outside and look up at the sky. And although those we can see are beautiful and they're bright, I think when you look up, you can think, oh, there's one there and, oh, there's a few there. They can seem a bit feeble and a bit lonely. And to be honest, I think it can feel that way being a Christian sometimes. Like there's actually only a few of us and we're a bit feeble and it can feel a bit lonely. But actually, there is so much going on beyond our perspective, beyond what we can see in the here and now. And if all those lights went out, it would be a very different experience looking up at the sky. Now, there's only a few times I can really remember seeing a a sky full of stars. Um, It was when I was, as a teenager, in my parents' car, and we were driving through the countryside, and there were no lights anywhere around, and I just happened to go like this and look up the back window, and I, I took my breath away because the sky was full of stars, and I had never seen that before growing up in a city. And it just, it was so beautiful, I couldn't stop looking. Um, Now, of course, for Paul, when he wrote this letter, and the Philippians who read it, they didn't have light pollution. So that wouldn't have been an issue for them. And they would have known how the sky glittered with starlight, making the night sky a thing of wonder and a thing of beauty. So being told that they would shine like stars... I think must have been really quite encouraging for them. They would understand they brought light and beauty to the darkness around them, and they were not alone in it. Paul encouraged them in this, that it's okay to be different. It's okay to stand out, holding firmly to the word of life, as he said. 
And then in these verses, Paul then goes on to talk about himself and about how he's a sacrifice being poured out for them. And, but he does it in such a tone, in such a way, that he's not mumbling or arguing or complaining about it. In fact, he comes at it in completely the opposite spirit. And he talks about being glad and rejoicing in what he's doing. And he wants them to be glad and rejoice with him. He is following the example of Jesus, and he's able to be a prisoner for his faith without grumbling and without arguing because of the example of Jesus. And then Paul goes on to talk about Timothy, who has a genuine concern, he says, for the Philippians and has proved himself to be someone who doesn't just look after his own interests, just being self-centered, what about me, but actually is looking out for others um, because of Jesus And Paul tells us how he plans to send Timothy, or he tells the Philippians, and we're reading it, um, how he's planning to send Timothy to them so that Timothy can go see how they're doing and bring Paul an update. And then finally, in these verses I read, we hear about a man called Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus was a Philippian. He'd come from them to see Paul. Now, if it weren't for this letter, we wouldn't know about Epaphroditus. He would just be, you know, this is the only place we have reference to him. Now, he was a messenger sent to Paul from Philippi, doing what he could as a brother and a co-worker and a fellow soldier. That's how Paul described him. Now, Epaphroditus may have felt that he was playing a fairly insignificant role in the things of the kingdom. He was really just a messenger, coming and delivering a message and then taking a message back. But that is not how Paul saw him or how he described him. And then we know from this that Epaphroditus felt bad because his illness had caused Paul and those he'd come on behalf of to worry. But the fact is, Epaphroditus did recover, and I think we can safely assume he made it back to Philippi to deliver this letter because we now have it as part of our New Testament. Now, Epaphroditus' life made a difference. And you know, yours can too, and so can mine, as we do what we can do to work at our salvation with fear and trembling. Not something we're frightened of, but something we know is holy and precious. Letting God work in our wills and our actions in order to fulfill his good purpose. Doing everything, as Paul says, without grumbling or arguing, so we may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a warped and crooked generation, and shining like stars. So there's a lot there. Um, so we'll just take a few minutes to pray now. So can I ask you to stand, because you've been sitting, listening, passive mode. I'll ask you to stand now, and we'll just um, pray into this a bit. So just take a moment to, to focus on the Lord again. Now, he is with us by his Spirit. He is moving, he is active, he is working in us and around us. So we thank you, Heavenly Father, for your um, presence with us by your Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for the example you set for us by coming, living as one of us, giving up the glory of heaven, coming to live as one of us, and being obedient to death on a cross, defeating sin, defeating the devil, giving us the opportunity to have life and freedom in you. 
Thank you, Jesus. You are now exalted to the highest place and you have the name above every name. And it is at your name that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So this morning, Lord, as we're together, we acknowledge again what you've done for us and we thank you for it. And we just pray that you would help us to know what it means in our individual situations and also as your body here in this, in this place, in this time, to work out our salvation and to let our salvation work in us. Help us to cooperate with the presence of your spirit in our lives, letting you shape and transform us. And Lord, if there's any of those three areas that you highlighted to me as I was preparing, whether our self-centeredness or our just desire for comfort or our fear of being overlooked and taken for granted, that you're wanting to say and you're wanting to put your finger on and to say, look, I have a better way, then help us to be open to that, to cooperate with what you're doing and to grow in trusting you, to grow in trusting your timing your provision, your protection. To know that we can lay down our rights because you will not let us down. You will not um, overlook us. You will fight for us and you will make a way. And you see further ahead than we do, so your way is better. And we thank you, Lord, for the example of Paul, the example of Timothy, and the example of Epaphroditus, the three listed here. Thank you for each of their roles and what they were called to do and how they each gave of themselves in their different ways. And Lord, we, pr- we thank you for this church in Philippi, who Paul continually told to rejoice. And we pray, Lord, we would be people also who can rejoice in your goodness, in your mercy in who you are and in who you are in us. So we just give you permission as we turn to worship you again to keep speaking, to keep highlighting, to keep um, healing and helping us, Lord, and challenging us where needed. As we love you and we want to grow into um, your likeness and to let your spirit will Uh, touch us in our will and our actions thank you Lord thank you Lord so we'll have a time of uh, responding in worship and uh, the ministry team will be here if you any of those things you want just someone to pray with you about um, then we're here to pray